Hello and welcome to The Quiz Kids from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are, The Quiz Kids, and back at teacher's desk with his hands full of questions and his head full of answers is today's chief quizzer himself, Oliver Capel. Yes, we're all set to carry on another question session for Joe Kelly. And there's a lot of fun in store for everybody. I'm warning you children, though, some of today's questions are real sticklers. See what you can do with this first one. What general is always in shape? Hmm, now there's a puzzler. Greg Donovan is off stage where you children can't hear him. And he's going to tip our listeners off to some of the answers today. He has the question to that... He has the answer to that first question right now. Are you there, Greg? Yes, you bet I am, Oliver. And here's the answer for just you listeners alone. The general who's always in shape is General Eisenhower because he commands Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers of Europe, which is abbreviated S-H-A-P-E, shape. Now the listeners know the answer... We'll see if you children have figured it out as soon as we have roll call. Pat? I am Patrick Owen Conlon. I'm 14 years old and a 1A at Calumet High School in Chicago. Lonnie? I'm Lonnie Lundy. I'm 15 years old. And I'm a sophomore at Main Township High School in Park Ridge, Illinois. Mike? I'm Mike Mole. I'm 13 years old and in the 8th grade at the University of Chicago Laboratory School. And two feminine charmers, Naomi? I'm Naomi Cooks. I'm 13 years old and in 1B at Roosevelt High School in Chicago. And Wendy? I'm Wendy Stocking. I'm five years old. I go to kindergarten at school, Chicago, Illinois. Hmm, five years old. Think of that. All right. Now, how about that first question? What general is always in shape? Pat? Well, first of all, I think we ought to explain that shape is another one of these abbreviations. It stands for... Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers, Europe, I think. That's right. And, of course, uh, that would be General Eisenhower, the first one will come to my mind. That's, what it That's the answer. <laughs> well, now who's in shape to answer this next one? Situations in some nursery rhymes might remind you of certain people in the Bible. What person in the Bible might you think of if you read the rhyme, Little Boy Blue? Lonnie? Well, little boy blue blew his horn, so that would be Joshua and his men at the walls of Jericho. Very good. That's a good answer. Does someone have another? Naomi? Well, it could be Joseph. Uh, his brothers were tending the sheep, and he was sent to uh, call them back. He didn't blow a horn, but... Well, he was a shepherd. Pat? Could be Gideon. He blew a horn, too. Yes, he certainly did. Yes. We have some more here. Mike? Well, it might be uh, many references to Gabriel blowing his horn. Sure, Gabriel. And Lonnie? Uh, David. King David was also a shepherd. He certainly was. Yes, he would be in that, too. And who might you think of when you read the rhyme, Ding-Dong Bell? Ding-Dong Bell. Pat? Well, I can think of one person who was in the well, so yes. to speak. That would be Joseph. I think when his brothers were going to take him to Egypt, they dropped him in sort of a well. It was a hole in the ground, actually. That was the one we were thinking of. Did you have one, Naomi? Well, Rebecca wasn't in the well, but she was at the she well. She was at the well. Yeah, we should count her, I think. Well, that's fine. 
Certain presidents of the United States didn't seem to fare so well after they changed parties. Can you name the man who was elected president as a Democrat, but who was later defeated for the presidency when he ran on the free soil ticket? We yeah. let our listeners in on the answer. Greg Donovan is off stage, ready to tell. The answer is Martin Van Buren. All right, kids, do you know the answer? I'll uh, give you a little tip. Uh, he won in 1836. He lost in 1848. Pat? I think that'd be Martin Van Buren, then. That was, yes, Martin Van Buren. <laughs> Who was elected president as a Republican, but later lost the presidential election when he ran on the progressive ticket? Lonnie? Well, that'd be Taft. <laughs> I forgot the people off stage were supposed to be told, and I jumped the gun that time. Well, it, it, uh, who did you say it was? William R. Taft. No, it wasn't Taft. Taft? It'd be Theodore Roosevelt. Then. Theodore Roosevelt. That's the one. <laughs> now, who was elected president with no party affiliation, but lost the election when he ran as a national Republican? Greg, will you inform the listening audience? The answer is John Quincy Adams. All right, kids, what's the answer? Lonnie? That was uh, Jefferson, I believe. No, Pat? I, I said it'd be John Quincy Adams. That's right. He won in 1924. <laughs> well, you'll have to know your flags as well as your Shakespeare to answer this question, because we're going to show you the flag of a certain country, and you must tell me what country it represents, then give me a line from a Shakespearean play that takes place in that country. Here is the first flag. It has a red background with an elongated white cross that covers the length and width of the flag. Mike? Isn't that a Swedish flag? No, it isn't a Swedish flag. You weren't too far off. Lonnie? I believe it's Norway, isn't it? <laughs> no, not Norway. Wait, Naomi? Well, I guess it must be Denmark then. Well, And all right. so that would be Hamlet. Hamlet. And the line from that would be, oh, that the tutu salad would flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. And then, oh, there's a lot of other ones. Here. Well, there certainly <laughs> are. That's very good. Uh, did someone else... <laughs> Did you have a quotation, Pat? Well, there's also the most famous one, I think, and there is to be or not to be. That is the question, whether it is more nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Ah, and then it goes yes. on like that. Sir. And the last poor Yorick, I we shouldn't forget him. <laughs> well, here's the second flag. It is green, white, and red with an emblem in the center of the flag. The emblem is a little white cross in a red background with a blue border. Wendy? Um, Italy? Yes, that's Italy. Uh, do you know a play that happened in Italy? Yes. What? Um. Now we'll give her time. The name of a Shakespearean play that happened in Italy. What was that? Well, I think she knows, but she can't think of the name of the play. Do you know some lines from the play? Yes. Well, go ahead. But soft but light to yonder window face. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already thick and pale with grief, that thou who may art far more fair than she. Be that <laughs> Well, good for Wendy. 
good for Wendy. That, that was Romeo and Juliet. All right, two out of three on this one, quiz kids. Our organist, Helen Westbrook, seems to have baseball on her mind today. Each song she plays will give you the nickname of a major league player who is in a different team's uniform this year than last. Can you identify each player and name both his 1950 and 1951 teams? Here's the song. Minnie the Moocher, and that, of course, is Orestes Minnie Minoso, who last year played in the, mi in the minor leagues at San Diego, which was property of the Cleveland Indians, and this year he's playing with the Chicago White Sox. Right, right you are. <laughs> and here is the second song. Let's all sing like the birdies sing, and that's uh, Bertie Tebbett. And uh, last year he's with the Boston Red Sox. This year he's with the Cleveland Indians. Right you are. <laughs> now what player does this beautiful composition suggest? Lonnie? Well, that's, the notes are D-E-E, -E. that'd be D. Fondy, who last year played with Fort Worth, property of the Dodgers, this year with the Chicago Cubs. D. Fondy, that's right. <laughs> Here's a story that sounds like a passage from a mystery magazine. See if you can tell us what it's really all about. Listen. The king of the underworld stealthily made his way through the woods. He was calm again now an hour after his fight to the death with Sonora Coral. She had tried poison, but no poison could affect him. He thought of how she had struggled in his vice-like grip, then had grown still. No enemy had ever escaped his grip except one, and that one only escaped because he literally went to pieces. Ah, but someday he'd get him again. Someday. I nearly scared myself on that one. <laughs> what was I talking about, Pat? Well, I know it's about animals, and I'm not too clear, uh, clear about that. I think uh, one of them mentioned was a coral snake, or some sort of a snake, because I know you did mention poison. Well, you're warm. You're, you're very warm. Uh, Mike? Well, the one that flew to pieces, I would say, would be a glass snake, because they, uh, yeah. actually, it's not a snake, it's a lizard. Mm -hmm. uh, legless lizard, and uh, they can break into many pieces, and the body then grows a new tail. Yes, that's right. That was the glass snake. Could you add anything about the uh, the Sonora coral? Don't have anything on that, eh? Pat again? Well, I have an idea about you. Said something about a vice-like grip, and if we're on the subject of snakes and lizards, that reminds me of the python. Well, King Snake is the name of the snake. He's called King of the Underworld, and he met a Sonora Coral, which is a type of poisonous coral snake. And uh, the King Snake kills small animals and other snakes by constriction. Sometimes the characters in storybooks seem to be afraid of rather unusual things. Can you identify two out of three of these? First, who was afraid that the sky was falling? 
We'll give Greg Donovan a few seconds to tell our listeners the answer from off stage. The answer is Henny Penny, also called Chicken Little. Kids, do you know the answer? Yes, there are at least four hands up this time. Naomi? Well, that would be Chicken Little. All right, Chicken Little. Was there another name for Chicken Little? Does anyone know another name for Chicken Little? You don't? Henny Penny. Well, who can tell us the story of Henny Penny? Anybody know that? All right, Naomi. Well, I think an acorn fell on her head, and uh, she started to think about it, and she thought, well, maybe the sky was falling in. So she told, she went running around telling all her friends, and pretty soon all the uh, uh, hens and roosters in the farmyard, <laughs> they all thought the sky was falling in. So they went to hide, I think it was, and they hid in a hole. And I think it was the fox's den, and the fox uh, had a nice dinner that night. Oh, my. <laughs> well, that was it, all right. Now, who was always afraid of the black spot? Let's see if the kids associate the black spot with Bill Bones in Treasure Island. Pat? Well, that's in Treasure Island, and the black spot was the sign of death, actually, what it was. It could be Long John Silver. He got the black spot one time in the story. Or, or uh, any of the other characters there. Yes, like Bill Bones, for example, we were thinking of. All right, and who was only afraid of lighted matches? The answer on my card backstage says it's the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Wendy has her hand up on that. Who was afraid only of lighted matches? A Scarecrow in um, The yeah. Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, sure. <laughs> When you're only five years old, you have to hesitate a little bit. <laughs> Say, Mike, you did so well last week in identifying bird calls. We'd like to have you imitate a few calls now and see if the rest of the quiz kids can identify them. How about it? Would you like to try and stump your fellow quiz kids? All right. Here's the first one. See if you can identify this one. some of them on our grounds. I think I know what that one is. Can Naomi? Well, I'm not sure, but are those wild geese? No. No. No, we haven't any wild geese on our ground. Pat? How about a blue jay? A blue jay. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's have another one, Mike. Okay, here's the second one. How about it, Lonnie? Well, uh, at first uh, sound, I thought it was the cardinal, but I'm not... That's right. Is that right, That's Mike? Right. All right. <laughs> Let's have one more. Okay, here's the last one. Who wants to try that? Nobody knows that one? Sounded a little like a screech owl, was it? No, that's pretty close, though. That mm -hmm. was a loon. A loon. The difference is that the uh, screech owl just has a descending cadence like this. Oh. He just runs up and down. Oh. <laughs> well, Mike, those bird calls sounded almost as though we were right out in the woods. You know, I imagine many of our listeners are planning trips into the woods this summer. And friends, 
When you're enjoying a day in the forest, remember, those trees and grasslands are important not only for their scenic beauty and as a refuge for the birds, but they're also a very vital source of the raw materials our country needs to remain strong. Just think, nine out of 10 forest fires are caused by careless men and women. So make sure that no careless act of yours can result in such wasteful destruction. Crush out your cigarettes, break matches in two before throwing them away, and always drown out any campfire you build. Protect your forests so you may keep on enjoying them for many years to come. Well, kids, let's pretend that constellations had to obey United States laws. What kind of a license would Orion need in order to continue his occupation, Pat? Well, that would be a hunting license. He was a hunter in, in Tell mythology. us a little more about Orion. Well, Orion was a hunter in mythology, and he, uh, I believe the story goes that he fell in love with Diana, the moon goddess. Yeah. And uh, Diana's brother, Apollo, was very jealous of this. He didn't think she ought to marry anybody. So uh, he uh, somehow had Orion swim across the river, I believe it was, and then he dared Diana, who was a very good uh, shot with the bow and arrow, to hit the little speck in the river. And, of course, she didn't know it was her uh, boyfriend, Orion, and she shot him, and she killed him. Yeah. And uh, he was so honored after that, because they knew he had only died because of a trick, uh, that he was made a constellation. Yes, he was placed among the stars. That's right. Now, what kind of license would Canis Major need? Mike? That would need a dog license because that is the uh, great dog. It'd need a dog license. That's right. This uh, Canis Major contains the dog star Sirius. How about Pisces? <laughs> well, Pat got so excited that time he knocked his microphone down. I think he was first, though. Go ahead, Pat. I wonder if the mic's still working. <laughs> anyway, I think that would be a fishing license because Pisces Australis, that was the fish. Yeah, that's one of the stars. <laughs> so from fishers, fishers, let's go to, to bribes. The month of June inspires many people to write poems. I wrote a poem myself once about a June bribe back in 1935. It presents a problem that you kids might help us with. So while my colleague, Greg Donovan, recites the first two stanzas, I wish you'd listen and decide what you would do if you were in this young lady's place. My poem is called The Sensitive Bride. Will you read it with mild pathos, please, <laughs> Greg? Uh, mild it shall be, Oliver. <laughs> According to the Book of Rules, June brides are always gay. There's something in the atmosphere that makes them act that way. They giggle when the rice is thrown. They do not even frown when someone throws a rubber boot that knocks the bridegroom down. Yet, there was one fair maiden as her nuptial time drew near whose grief was such that all the world seemed very dark and drear. And I, with deepest sympathy, recall to mind her woes. The bride who, on her wedding day, was bigger than her clothes. A bashful girl was Betsy Bowes, extremely young and shy, as modest as a daisy, and as pleasing to the eye. But prior to her wedding day, she had so many treats, and ate so much Welsh rabbit, and consumed so many sweets, that when she donned her wedding dress, 
a frown erased delight. Three inches she had gained, and now the gown was much too tight. She held her breath and struggled, but her effort was in vain. Her buttons started popping. They could not resist the strain. Oh, mother dear, what shall I do? Lamented Betsy Bowes. The bride, who on her wedding day was bigger than her clothes. Thanks very much, Greg. From those two stanzas, you have the picture, kids. Now, what would you do if you were in Betsy's place? Naomi, you tell me. Well, currently there's a comic strip character uh, in Scarlett O'Hara that um, escaped from the police by using some, they must have been magic-reducing pills because she lost about 200 pounds in about a week. And I, think she, uh, I think Betsy Bowles ought to get in touch with her very fast. Well, that's a very good idea. That's one solution. Pat? Well, uh, I've gleaned my information from the news lately, too. There have been a lot of fighters who've been having a lot of trouble making the weight, not mentioning any names, of course. And uh, when the day of the fight comes up, they found they're a pound and a half or a pound too heavy, and they have about one hour to take off the pound and a half. And how they do it, I'll never know, but at least I think Betsy could contact one of them and find out how they do it and see if she couldn't duplicate this. Hey, we're having all kinds of suggestions here. Lonnie? Well, uh, as, uh, as far as that goes, an athlete would uh, generally put on about five or six rubber sweaters and <laughs> be, uh, uh, have somebody tie a rope to a car and the other end around his stomach and have the car pace him and uh, <laughs> make him run until he's ready to drop. That'll take off the pounds. Or else you could go over to a racetrack and, well, well of course, this is a girl, but get, a, get a, one of the a jockey's reducing machines. I don't know, you can have a, maybe a bicycle with a motor on it, you know, a, a stationary bicycle. That'll, uh, that's that's pretty drastic, but it might do the work. Pat, you have another? Well, according to science, if she plays 260 and holds the golf, she'll lose a pound. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and Naomi again. Well, maybe some quick repair work could be done on the clothes because they can't... It's going to be pretty hard in one day to make Betsy smaller than the clothes. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that, too. Well, I think you handled it all very well. Uh, uh, I believe that probably takes care of the situation, and, uh, and we hope Betsy will make out all right. You'll have to put your imaginations to work on this geography question. Each of the sounds you are about to hear should suggest the name of the capital of a foreign country. You are to identify both the capital and the country. Try to get two out of three. Here's the first sound. Lonnie? Well, that sounds like some paper burning. That'd be burn Switzerland. Burn Switzerland. That's it. That's it. <laughs> the next capital is a combination of two sounds. See if you can figure it out. Wendy? Um, would that be... Thunder? Well, it sounded a good deal like thunder, but no, it wasn't, honey. Mike? Well, the first sound was uh, supposedly that of a war, and the second one was song, so that would be Warsaw in Poland. That's it. Warsaw in Poland. <laughs> now keep in mind that the creature making this next sound belongs to Mother. 
<laughs> Wendy? A cow? Yes, it's a cow. But, uh, boy, is this far-fetched. The cow belongs to Mother. What? What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pat? Well, that'll be Ma's cow. Ma's yeah, cow. Ma's cow. <laughs> I must say that you kids know how to reach for them. Uh, we have some treats in store for all of you children on this next question. All you have to do is know the alphabet. That's right. Just recite your ABCs. And here's where the treats come in. For each letter, you mention in order without making a mistake. Our friend Eleanor, the girl who rang the bell so nicely for us last week, will drop a candy bar in this pan right here, and then we'll divide the bars among you. Now, let's see how far you can go without making a mistake. As soon as you do make a mistake, you must stop, and I'll give someone else a chance to try it. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Oh, but I forgot to mention one thing. In reciting the alphabet, you must say it backwards, starting with the letter Z, and do it fast. All right, who wants to try it first? If you take more than two seconds on a letter, the judges will ring a bell, and it'll go to the next kid. Uh, all right, uh, Lonnie? Uh, Z, can I go yet? Uh, yes, go ahead. Oh. Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L. Uh, well, that is all right. You, you did okay. Pat, uh, start at the beginning. Oh, we start at the beginning. Start oh, at the ending. You know, that's the beginning. Uh, Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K. All right. Uh... How about somebody else trying that? Wendy? All right, Wendy. B-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-M-N. All right. That was very well done. We, we really finished off the alphabet in good shape. Is Greg there? How many candy bars do we, do we have for the youngsters all together, Greg? I'd say roughly around 65 to 70. I oh, finally had to give up, Oliver. Well, <laughs> fine, quiz kids. You know, Eleanor never speaks on this program. It's great. <laughs> Uh, today marks the opening of National Candy Week, and uh, it seems that you kids are getting off to a very good start. If, if statues could sing to each other, what songs would not be too appropriate for Venus de Milo? We'd like you to sing your answers. Pat? Well, uh... Um, let's see now. Well, she didn't have any arms, so maybe she couldn't very well sing open arms, open door, or something like that. Well, something like that. I don't, well, I don't how about think you? I ought to sing it anyway. I see. Well, all right. That sounds reasonable. Lonnie? Well, she could sing, In my arms, in my arms, am I never going to get a girl in my arms? That's fine. That's one of those that, that uh, all right, Naomi? Well, it could be Embrace Me. Yes, <laughs> all right. How would you like to sing that? Well, I wouldn't, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what do you think of that? There's the bell, kids. And you know what that means? School is over for today. The judges will be handing out the report cards in just a minute. But before they do, here is some important news for our listeners about the Quiz Kids Best Teacher Contest. On next Sunday's Quiz Kids program, just one week from today, Dr. Paul A. Whitty, 
of the scholarship committee will be here to announce the names of the teachers who have been selected as the best teacher of 1951 and the most promising teacher of the year. This is the big news we've all been waiting for, especially you boys and girls listening in. Just think, one of these teachers might be someone from your own community. In fact, it might even be the teacher you yourself nominated for the award. So be sure you don't miss this exciting news next Sunday on the Quiz Kids program. And now, Quiz Kids, let's look at your report cards for today. Remember, whether you win or lose, you each receive a United States savings bond for your future education. The judges say that as a class, you missed no questions. That's swell. Pat was first, Lonnie was second, and Mike and Naomi tied for third. We'll see you four back in school next Sunday to compete with Harvey Deitch, age eight. We hope all you friends will be back with us again next Sunday, too. And until then, this is Oliver Capel dismissing the quiz kids. Goodbye, kids. Goodbye, Oliver Capel. Listen to the Quiz Kids coast to coast every Sunday evening and also see and hear the Quiz Kids television program on NBC. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is Greg Donovan speaking. Quiz Kids is a Lewis G. Cowan production. Mr. Moto brings you mystery tonight on NBC.